One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in the city. The reason why I brought up this verse as a review nugget of Corinth and Paul's experience in Corinth is because Paul's mission was pretty dangerous. You mean he was chased out of town, he was beaten up, he, he had nothing but opposition. We saw his frustration with the Jews in, um, was it Thessalonica? And then here he is in Corinth and he's just, you know, he's, he would probably would have rather be in Berea, you know, but he's working. No, actually it was in Corinth, he had the opposition. That's why he put his foot down and went next door. That was just last week we looked at that. So we know he had a lot of opposition, a lot of resistance. But the cool thing is, is when you're in the ministry and you have a lot of opposition, in your, or even some opposition, depends on how much your character can handle. <laughs> some people can only handle so much opposition before they crack, but it's good to know that God's with you. And Paul literally had a vision. He literally saw God speak to him and told him, don't be afraid. Why did God need to say that? It's because there's been a lot of things in Paul's mission, this second missionary journey. And if you remember from the first missionary journey, he almost died. So his missions is very difficult. So the words, don't be afraid, coming from God's mouth is very, very significant for Paul. Because I can see Paul just going, that's it. I've had enough. And in fact, here we even believe that he was so wound up that he, gave him, he made a vow to God, which uh, some people suggest is the Nazarite type of vow, where he decided not to cut his hair and to restrain from certain things up until the end of the vow. But we'll deal with that in a moment. But the reality is, he needed to hear these words. Keep on speaking. Keep, your, keep on going. Don't be silent. And again, you know, Satan wants to silent the messenger. He wants to silent. And by the way, guys, the messenger isn't just the evangelists, the apostles, the missionaries, the pastors, the preachers, the teachers, whatnot. You know, it, it, it's the church together. So the church needs to be together to help, to support, to lift up, to encourage the work, right? Because the work isn't the work of the pastor. The work is the work of the church. And it's the work of God. So Satan wants us to be silent. Satan wants us to stop. Stop it, guys. But God says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack or harm you. Because I have many people in the city. You're not alone. And I think that's profound. Paul, you're not alone. There's many people with you. There's support. And I got, when we say support, we're not just talking about financial giving. We're talking about support in all kinds of ways. Spirit support, prayer support, moral support, agreeable support. Next slide, please. So now he's going to make this, this trip back home. And it's on his trip back home, this is where he comes across the, the, briefly the church in Ephesus, but he, I believe he's moved in Ephesus and he wants to come back, but he, he, but he, he's moving back home just now. He's heading back. This is the end of his third missionary journey. And it started in verse 18 by saying, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. 
Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria. Syria, that's where they start. That was the, the church in Damascus in Syria. Accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. You remember that, the tent makers that he met earlier, who they themselves were having a bit of a difficult time. They were kicked, booted out of Rome, and they found their way to Corinth, trying to make their way in Corinth, and Paul was there to support them, to be with them, to help them. But now they're together. They're moved to be with Paul, to, to minister, to co-labor with Paul. And this is awesome, because I, because we're going to see that Paul's going to leave them to minister, to continue the work that Paul has begun. But it's not Paul's group mission. It's our mission. It's a group's mission. It's a church's mission. And so Priscilla and Quill are going to, be, are going to remain in Ephesus to do the work. So before he sailed, though, however, he had his hair cut off. So he had a weak haircut. And, and a lot of people wonder, well, what is this all about? So he stops off that little town we saw, that Censoria or Sencaria, whatever you want to say it, because of a vow he had taken. So some, there's a lot of speculation, what is this vow he took? What's it all about? Is it the Nazarite vow? Who knows? Was he so wound up in his missions, so afraid of constant opposition, that he made a vow of God, be with me, and I will continue my work. And maybe it was a Nazarite type of vow. The reason why they say it's, it's like the Nazarite vow is because at the very end of it, usually you would end it by cutting your hair and offering a sacrifice in Jerusalem, which is exactly what he's going to do. He's cutting his hair, and he's going to head to Jerusalem. Regardless of what the vow is or not, here he is, you know, he's completing the vow by cutting his hair. In this town of Centuria, Sencaria, whatever you want to say it. In the verse 19, so now they're moving from Greece into Asia Minor, and they arrive at Ephesus, in verse 19, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. They left them there to do some work. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned the Jews. Funny, because I thought he stopped doing that, but he hadn't. Paul, what do you like? You know, but you know what it's like. You know, it's like, they, they drive me nuts, but I still love them. You know what I'm saying? I can see Paul going, I, I know I'm back in Corinth. I said, I'm finished. They're stubborn, seven people. But I like how Paul still gives them a little bit of grace, a little bit of mercy. Yes, they're hard to deal with, but let's just see how this goes. I wonder, how's it going to go for you, Paul? Let's find out verse 20. So then they, um, he reasoned with the Jews, but then they asked him to spend more time with them. He declined, but he said, um, as he left, he promised he'd come back. If it's God's will. And then he set sail from Ephesus. So like I said, he, he, he's wanting to see a completion. And with the fact that him cutting his hair, he probably saw this as a time to go home, to reset, to restart. And he probably needed a break. That's the thing. We need to take a break, you know. And so I think Paul needed to take a break. So he goes, listen, I would like to sit here. I would like to reason and I would like to work with you guys. But I'm going to leave you these two amazing people that I met, Priscilla and Aquila, and they'll be here and minister. And actually, Timothy, the speculation that he remained here, there's speculation that there's just, I mean, actually even John, you know, Big John, the John loved, the guy loved by Jesus, Disciple John, that he went to Ephesus and ministered as well. So the church in Ephesus had a fair share of really good ministry. But then, but here's Paul. Or not, yeah, Paul. He he needs to complete his mission. So he went to Caesarea, where he went up to Jerusalem, greeted the church there at Jerusalem, and then from there he went home to Antioch. Then after spending some time in Antioch, Paul sent out there and traveled from that place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthened. Yes. So between twenty and twenty-three. There's much information there. Did he rest? Did, what did he do? Did he have a real, little retreat? All we know is that he arrived back to Antioch, right back home, and what did we read? Immediately, he takes off again. 
And what, where is he going? The exact same place that we saw before. Next slide. Yeah, that looks similar to the last missions journey. It does to me. I've showed it to you for the last, what, four or five weeks. That looks very similar. A little bit different. <laughs> Over here, instead of sailing across, he travels back. That's about the only difference I see. A little bit longer, and again, ending in Jerusalem. Where I believe that's where he gets arrested, but we'll find out later. So he's going to go back to minister. So he planted seeds. He's going to use this terminology, planting seeds. He's planted seeds. He got the word out, but now he's going to go, and he left people all over. And one of the people we're going to see today is Apollos, you know, who, who are the type of people who, and Priscilla Aquila would be another one of those types. Timothy is another one of those types. Um, and we encountered a lot of other people, which I'm going to mention some people early, later on tonight or this morning. But the reality is they were there to, to help, to establish churches. And what the word Paul uses for that is watering. Seed, you know, planting seeds. But when you plant seeds in the ground, if you don't water them, what happens to the seeds? They die. So you need some care in the watering. And so there's, that's what the other ministry. So here I think what he's doing is some type of watering ministry. I'm going to go back and see how you're doing. And like we just read, it literally said that he wanted to go through Galatia. And Galatia is Asia, oh, that part of Asia, the, that part. And then you have this part of Asia, which is referred to also as, um, what did I say it? Um, uh, Phrygia, which is a scale, a Phrygian scale with a flat um, second and a flat, okay, anyways. Um, but so he's traveling through this area. He's, the churches that he planted, that he, he, was, he laid seeds. And now he wants to go see if they're all right. He cares for them. So he wants to do this watering ministry, strengthening. That's the words they use here, to strengthen the disciples. Next slide. And then the, one of these guys who helps water is a guy named Apollos. Really cool guy. And so I want to look at his character and I want to look at his ministry, so we can glean from him and we can learn what it's like to be a supportive minister. So if Paul did a thing, a work, a pioneering, a work, you know, Apollos supported that work. In his, in his, in his work, in Paul's work, are dependent upon each other. Paul needs Apollos, Apollos needs Paul. So they need to work together. But, but the dodgy Corinth... As they do, because they're carnal, you use it to divide. Use the name of Paul and the name of Paulus to divide, to make division within the church. That's a naughty church habit. The reason why I say it's a naughty church habit, not just a naughty church of Corinth, is because churches tend to do these things, even now. But we need to reconcile the fact that Apollos needs Paul, and Paul needs Apollos. And there's a term that Paul's going to use to describe this relationship. And it's not just Paul and just Apollos. It also includes Christ himself and everyone. And the word we use, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag, is body. It's a body. But we'll hold on to that for a moment, because we're going to talk about it a little bit. So in Acts 18.24, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, which is northern coast of, of, of Africa. So uh, he came up to Ephesus. He was a learned man. Learned, a man of letters. He was a scholar, an academic, skilled in literature and the arts especially versed in history and the antiquities, skilled in speech. So he's got something I don't have. Eloquent, rational, and wise. Okay? So a smart guy, smarty pants. Which he could have showed up and said, listen, I'm so smart. I'm smarter than Paul. 
So listen to me, not to him. But he wasn't that guy. Funny thing is, people would kind of expect him to be that way, but he wasn't. He was very much supportive. He worked together with Paul. They needed each other. They were a team. Okay, so he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of scriptures. He understood the Bible in a thorough manner. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor. I like this guy. Not only did he understand the Bible, but he wasn't shy about it. He had the ability to communicate it. As we know from the idea of being learned, is he was, had the ability to speak. He had various skills. He had a whole facet of skills, a, a plethora of skills, if you will. But the word fervor, um, zeo, to boil with heat, to be hot, used of water, metaphorically. So think of that idea of boiling water. That was his temperament when it comes to, sh- to, to sharing the word and sharing his knowledge of Christ. He was excited, he was ready to steam. That sound your kettle makes when it's about ready to go. That's him. And he's just on the boiling point. He's ready just to get it out there. Use a boiling anger, but I don't think he was an angry man. Hopefully he wasn't. Love, okay? Zeal for what is good, bad. But in this context, it, it makes sense to say that he was fervent in spirit. He was zealous in a good way. And of course, the word panoima is used here. So he was, you know, he was boiling over with the spirit. So he wasn't boiling over in anger. He wasn't boiling over with temper. He's boiling over with the spirit. Now, what a, what a character. What a character. I want to be that guy. I want to be boiled over with the spirit. To always look for opportunity to share and to lift up and to encourage and to bless. He taught about Jesus accurately. I like that. He didn't just teach about Jesus. He didn't just, oh, whatever, Jesus. Here's some Jesus stuff. Let's just talk Jesus stuff. He was astute. He was, he was a hardworking guy who read. We saw that. He thoroughly understood the scriptures. He was a learned man. So he had the academic skills to tear the scriptures apart in a very you know, accurate, academic kind of way. But he, but he did the work. He had a proper knowledge of the scriptures. He had excitement about it. And when he did it, as a, I believe as a consequence, it was accurate. Though he knew only the baptism of John, and we're going to deal with the baptism of John and the baptism of the Holy Spirit next time. That's in Acts 19. So we'll put a pin in that for now. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue with, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So again, I like this about him. He was also had a sense of humility. You know what I'm saying? Paul had a sense of, not Paul, but, but Apollos had a sense of humility, okay? He... Even though he had great knowledge and great information, a great understanding of, um, of the words, right? But he was still open to grow. Okay, I'm going to say that again because there's a little bit of distraction here. Okay, Not only was he already a smarty pants, he understood things, and he could have said, oh, I don't need you. I got it. No, he was humble. He was teachable. He was still able to hear. Now, Priscilla and Aquila, think about them. Weren't they just the new Christians on the round the block? Weren't they just newly acquainted with Paul and acquainted with, with Christ? I mean, we read their biography. They weren't learned people. They were tent makers. But look at this, the humility of the learned man, the academic man, sitting with tent makers as they explained to him the way of God more adequately. Humility. When Apollos wanted to go to Acacia, which I was actually calling Achaia the other day, Achaia, 
but it's not, it's Acacia, or Kaya. The, I, well, I'm going to call it Ikea from now on. As he went to Sweden, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and, and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So there's a little taste of the character of the ministry of Apollos. And I hope it really encourages us all. It certainly encourages me. I mean, to have a man like Apollos in your life. If I were Paul, I would love Apollos. And bear in mind, they haven't really even met yet. But you know what I'm saying? It's like a setting up. It's like a, we're waiting for the cute meat to, to, to appear, you know? But here it is. Here it's set up. And I'm like, man, to have a man like Apollos in my ministry, it's, that's, that's awesome. It's awesome. So the, the next slide. Uh, I want to look at Apollos. Because here we see in the last uh, slide how um, he was here in, um, oh, he's moving to uh, Acacia, which is basically the central part of Greece, where Greece kind of divided a wee bit, and there's a little bit of water, and it's like the northern coast of that southern bit, basically, and that's where Corinth is, basically. And so, so that's where Paul is, is going to. He's leaving Ephesus and going to, basically to Corinth, okay? And the reason why I'm putting these verses up is I want to see his, his mentions in Paul's writings to Corinth so we can see the situation I talked about earlier, this, these divisions, these factions, okay? And I also want to see how Paul dealt with it. And I also want to see Paul's attitude about Apollos, okay? So in 1 Corinthians, and I put this as a subtitle, the name and ministry um, used by factions within the church. So name meaning the names, so Paul's names and Paulus's name, and even Peter, Cephas is brought up here. And Christ himself was brought up in here. How these names were used by these factions to pit against one another. A real carnal, worldly, purely satanic, in my opinion, technique. So, so in Corinthians 1.11 says that my brothers and sisters, um, some from Chloe's household have informed me, I got a phone call, text on the face plant, that there are quarrels among you. What's that all about? Why are you fighting for it? Um, and what I mean by this, to be specific, is one of you are saying, so one group is saying, I follow Paul. I like Paul. I'm a Paulite. Another says, I follow Paulus. I like what Paulus says. I, like his, I listen to his podcast every week, and he's amazing. He's so much better than Paul. I wish I went to Paulus' church. Another says, I follow Cephas. That's Peter. You know, Big Peter. Oh, Big Peter. He should be a pope. I love him. And then you got one who follows Christ. Forget you guys. It's the spiritual type that don't go to church, stay at home, and listen to the God channel. I don't need you in your church. I got Jesus. You know what I'm saying? They're spiritual because they have Jesus. They don't need the church. They don't need each other. They don't need Paul. They don't need Apollos. They don't need Peter. They don't need Cephas because they have Jesus. They have a special encounter with Jesus every day. Now, let me just tell you, that's rubbish. And Paul's going to deal with this. Paul deals with it by saying, listen, when you say you're for Jesus, what you're saying implicitly is you're against what God's for. Let me explain that. If God's raised up and called men like Cephas, Apollos, Paul, and the church, what you're saying is you're denying these things that God's using. You're denying God's will in the church by saying, I refuse that, but I'll take his name. I'll take his special relationship with him 
but I refuse what he's actually doing. What you're doing is you're denying God. So you're not really for Jesus. You're against Jesus. Why? Because later on, Peter, uh, Paul goes to explain what Jesus is. And what he is, he's a part of a body. Okay? He's a part of a body. He's the head of a body. You know what else is a part of the body? So is Apollos. So is Paul. And so is Cephas. Let's not chop bodies up, is what basically what Paul says. If you start chopping a body up, you start to, to damage it. Okay? You start cutting your arms off, your legs off, you're going to have problems. And that's what Paul says. Don't do this. We work together. We're a body, and the body is the church, which you're a part of. So there's a problem. And, and, and here's Paul. So here's Paul basically def- defending, saying, don't do this. And see what the church did? Paul went there to serve them. He was a good guy. And the next thing you know, it's just like, oh, we like his preaching better. We like what he has to say. And Paul, I remember him, but he was, he, 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 he kind of looked funny. He had the weird eyes, you know. I like looking at Paul. He's much more handsome, you know. Oh, forget him. I met Peter in Jerusalem one time. We should love him more. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Paul's not having any of it. Peter's not having any of it. Jesus certainly is having it, and Paul didn't have any of it because he wrote about this. So he says in, in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are worldly, still worldly, mere infants in Christ. And he goes on to repeat this fact about this division. And then also in 3, 5, it says, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. Again, this is where he talks about the seeding, planting seeds and the watering business. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. So again, the Lord's the boss. The Lord's achievements, it's his will. And we're, we, we're a part of that. We're instrumental in a greater part. We're a unit. I, Paul says, planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. Isn't that interesting? So yeah, Paul does something. Apollos does something. But it's all about God's will. God's what makes it grow. God's what makes it happen. So neither the one who plants or the one whose water is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Whew. And then one last thing he says about Paul is just to confirm the fact he loves him. In, in 16.12, and this is possibly... A second letter to Corinth. Now about our brother Paulos. I strongly urge him to go with you, um, with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go with you as he has the opportunity. So again, Paul supports Apollos. Go, you're a good guy. Go help the church in Corinth. They need you. But Apollos is like, I don't know. They're too carnal for me. They're not listening. I'm sick of this milk feeding business. I like being in Ephesus because they're chewing on some meat here, wherever he happens to be. Okay, so that's Paul, Apollos, that's Paul. You know what? Let's look at some other people in Acts. Just let's take a pause. and look As we're looking at a lot of character and the characters and the people in the Bible, let's look at some of the other people we met in Acts. I think it's going to be kind of fun at this moment to do this. You remember Stephen? Now, bear in mind, I, I was going to start with mentioning Peter. But the thing is, I want to talk about people who we've met specifically in Acts. Or their story is mostly contained in Acts. You remember Stephen? What's he known for? Being the first martyr. Here's some, what the scripture says about Stephen. Some awesome things. We've met him in, in, in I believe, uh, Acts 6-5, where it says, Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Okay, a man. Let's, let's, let's draw some inspiration. And let's, 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 let's kind of want to be like these guys a little bit. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. 
Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace, okay, grace, power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. He was well known. He, was, he, he did significant work. Why? Because he was full of God's grace and power. But they could not stand against him. They could not stand against his wisdom. The wisdom the Spirit gave him. Who gave him the wisdom? The Spirit. As he spoke. And it goes on to say, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intensely at Stephen. As they saw his face, it was like a face of an angel. And then onwards, Stephen, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Again, I'm putting a little nugget as how he's described throughout the scriptures. Look at these descriptions. Full of the Holy Spirit. And then while they were stoning him, throwing rocks at him, by the way, youngsters, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. So look at his character. Look at his personality. Look at the kind of guy that, that God uses. Look at Philip. I met Philip as well. Well, Philip arguably appeared earlier on. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, maybe it's different Philip. But we certainly know a lot about this Philip. I call him the Philip the Evangelist. He was the one who started a lot of the evangelical work in Judea and, and, and started onwards up towards Samaria and whatnot. So in 8.5, so Acts 8.5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the message there. So he was an evangelist. He was known for going around and sharing the words. Um, so there was a great joy in the city. Here's a consequence. He shared the word, and there's great joy as a consequence. He was a, a joy giver. <clears throat> Philip, he traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns. until he was, So, you know, not much to say about Philip, except for he was one of the deacons. So he was one of those guys who were chosen to, share, to, to, to serve. And, and one of the qualifications was to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he was certainly filled with the Holy Spirit. Obviously, because he was literally teleported around town. Not only did he travel in the conventional ways, he also traveled in supernatural ways. So he was certainly the traveling evangelist. <clears throat> and, but I like, what I like about him, though, is that where he went, he left joy. He, he was a joy lever. I like that. Saul. We met Saul in Acts. And 9.1 says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Oh, we, why'd you list him for Scott? He's, he's naughty. You know, he, he, but you know what? He has a testimony. Yeah, and this is another thing. For guys and gals of, of, of God, we might have a lot of baggage that's holding us back and, and, and messing us up. We might be doing things that we know are wrong. And if God's revealing that to you, be like Saul. Saul, at one point, was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. But then later on, he had a conversion, and he was encouraged to be filled with the Holy Spirit. No longer filled with anger and, and wrath and, and bogus zealousy, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And you know that Saul eventually became known as Paul, who, you know, who we've been talking mostly about as these journeys of in Acts, a significant portion of it, the majority of it's about Paul and his missions. There's one more guy I want to talk about in the next slide. Um, I like this guy a lot, Barnabas. 
In Acts 4.36, Barnabas, uh, also known as Joseph, Joseph, a, a Levite from Cyprus, so he's from Cyprus, the little island there, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Look at the character, Joy Lever, okay, the traveling evangelist. You know, you got the other fella who is a, um, you know, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looking like an angel, you know, um, full of grace, you know, full of God's power. You know, you have then Saul, you know, who just radical change, but his radical change resulted in the powerful preaching of Jesus Christ. Barnabas, a son of encouragement, a man who is known. He's given a name because, wow, you're so encouraging, we're going to call you son of encouragement. So he sold the field he owned and, and brought the money and put at the apostles' feet. So he, he believed his news. He believed he, his, his actions reciprocated the fact that he actually believed in what God was doing as a genuine work of God. And, and so much he put his money in it. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but there uh, they, they were afraid of him. Remember, remember when Paul or Saul was converted, he went to Jerusalem, they're like, nah, he's, he kills people. We don't want his business. Who came to Paul's defense? Who came and stood by Paul? Barnabas. But when they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Later on, in 1122, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, this is the church up in Syria and Antioch, where the sinning church of Paul and Saul, or Paul and Barnabas, they at this point are doing different journeys. However, it's their home churches, this church at Antioch where Barnabas was being sent to. And he arrived, he saw what the grace of God was doing, and he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. hearts rather. He was a good man. Barnabas was known as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. The reason why I added that a little bit, by the way, is because I liked how he went to look for Saul. Again, he didn't forget Saul. And, and think about that. Would Saul be the Paul that he was without the ministry of guys like Barnabas, who brought him? I'm coming with you. Come on. I got you. Let's go talk to the apostles in Jerusalem. And then he, after that, you know, Saul went up to Tarsus, way up high, Tarsus, as far as nearly a Turkey, I believe, I think maybe still Syria. I think it might actually be just in um, Galatia or just in Turkey. But regardless, far away. And, there's, and he was there for years. And then, he, and then when this guy, Barnabas, went to Damascus in Syria, he was there for a while and he remembered. I remember Saul. I think God's going to do something in his life. Well, how right was he? He got up, stood, walked out, journeyed, went to get him and brought him back and start off his missions. This missions, this, this, these constant journeys that Paul took that literally planted churches all over the known world. Aren't you glad that Barnabas did that? And there's other people we, I said we've we, we seen in Acts. So we've got Peter and we've got John Mark. We're talking about we, John Mark, who had a lot of growing up to do. You know, he disappointed, you know, certainly disappointed Paul. You know, he bailed on mid-mission. But we know that, that, that reconciliation was made between them. And that's important. And John Mark was significant. Not just to Paul. Because again, Paul needs John Mark and John needs Paul. And we all need each other because it's a body. It's not about the work of Paul 
And, and, and good for you, John, you supported Paul. And it's not about that. It's about working together as a team because this is what God is doing. This is what God wants. So praise God that John Mark grew up eventually and did amazing things like write the Gospel of Mark. Important stuff. Timothy, you know, we, we talk about Timothy, young guy. Timothy, you know, who was very instrumental in ministry. You know, um, Paul wrote encouraging, amazing, wonderful things that we still use today to, to actually build our principles of Christian leadership because of the writings that Paul wrote to Timothy. So aren't you glad that Timothy was about so Paul could have that relationship so we could have a good understanding of how to conduct ourselves in church leadership? Young Timothy, you know, don't, don't let them despise your youth. Go out there and serve that church. Don't let them bring you down because you're a youngster. You are called by God. Awesome things. Silas, who was another traveling companion, he was like the, the new Barnabas on his later trips, um, stayed with um, there in, um, you know, where was that town at? We were like Berea to, to, to develop and disciple them. Dorcas, Lydia, a couple of nice ladies we mentioned along the way who, who, were, who opened their home, the significant home, so that they established or had hospitality, established churches in, in significant local regions. Priscilla and Aquila, we met them just recently, and then Apollos. Wow, so what am I saying here, guys? Look at how all these wonderful people in the Acts. And look around here, and look at all the wonderful people in Cornerstone. You know, I mean, yeah, we don't always step up to the plate. We don't always, we're not always that wonderful. But the reality is, they have bad hair days, I'm sure, as well. But the thing is, I like to see that the God did use them. God uses these people, people like you and I, to do wonderful things. 